I remember Blaine lighting the guy up and that was cool. And I think the guy jumped up and did something to get a penalty after he, I, I think he was a little dizzy, so he probably didn't realize what he was doing. But And the safety was, at the time, you didn't think that that was going to be the winning points of the game. But I vividly re remember that and, and the fact that it was two of my close friends and same, same age and defensive line guys. I was on the field goal team, the left side, who was on the right side. I vividly remember that, just wanting to certainly do my job <laughs> and not and, and not be the reason why something went away. So I do remember the kick and being part of that, that field goal team and, and watching that go through the offense. Hello and welcome to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. I am Coulter Nuanas of ESPN Missoula. Grizz Greats is proudly presented by First Security Bank of Missoula as well as Blackfoot Communications. It's a 25-part podcast series chronicling Montana's 25th anniversary of their 1995 football national championship run. In this Grizz Greats episode, we'll hear from Corey Falls. He was a junior defensive end on that 1995 team and led the Grizzlies with nine sacks during that season 25 years ago. Falls bounced around for the first couple years after joining the Grizz from Medford, Oregon, before finding a home at defensive end and thriving in both 1995 and 1996. Since his graduation from the University of Montana, he has gone on to become an essential and pivotal law enforcement figure back in his home state, and he's been doing a lot of emergency control in the Portland area during the pandemic over the last year or so. Without further ado, Grizz Greats featuring former Grizz defensive end Corey Falls. Welcome to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, and very happy to be joined by a man who was a junior on the 95 team and a senior then on the 96 team, a defensive end originally out of Medford, Oregon, uh, coming to the University of Montana, Corey Falls. And Corey, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate you taking the time out. Busy time for you, which we'll get into a little bit more later on, but uh, I want to take you back to Medford, Southern Oregon, where you grew up, uh, and and the life and and the football life there in Medford. I mean, kids get into football all over the place. It's the sport of the country, so it makes sense. But what what for you was it that that got you into sports in general and football in particular? Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me on the show. I've been following this. You're doing a great job, and it's just it's humbling and it's an honor to be part of this discussion. So thank you. Uh, well, yeah, a little bit about Medford, you know, in, in Southern Oregon. Medford's a huge football town. Um, for, for many years, they had uh, Medford Senior High, which was one of the largest, uh, one of the largest high schools in the state. And they were very competitive um, football-wise. And there's, there's not much more to do outside of Medford. So they really follow their local sports, their, their high school teams. And, uh, that was a big influence for me growing up, just sports in general was. Um, I was a three-sport athlete. Baseball was probably my favorite sport growing up. Played, you know, baseball in the spring and summer, uh, football in the fall, and basketball in the winter. And, and that was my life from an, from an early age. But football was the one that, um, you know, probably drew the most success and uh, interest and, and something I really enjoyed to do. In Medford, 
recently there's been some great football moments. I mean, first of all, you talk about Southern Oregon winning a national championship a couple of years back, right? So do you have any connection to your hometown still through that lens, through that angle? No, but I remember, you know, Southern Oregon University, they did. They, they, uh, they won an NAIA national championship. Um, I was actually in Southern Oregon during that time. Um, very successful. And one thing that I think the coach did at the time, probably when he got there, maybe about 10 years ago, is he really started uh, recruiting local kids and bringing them in and making them believe in the program. And Southern Oregon University has, has, has done great. And uh, there's just some real good football talent, as, as you guys know. You know uh, you've spoken to Matt Wells and, and, and Kurt Peterson is how I knew him originally, but Wilberger, um, you know, and, and you know, Southern Oregon in general. But they, uh, it's a competitive place where uh, there's some good football played there. You know, you uh, mentioned – A cool tie for our listeners is just that uh, – when Southern Oregon was there, when they went to the national championship, Austin Dobbs was the quarterback. I remember him, but also Craig Howard was the head coach. And Craig Howard actually had been Tim Tebow's high school head coach and then had moved all the way across the country and installed this sweet offense. Corey, the other Medford connection I wanted to ask you about, too, though, is Dante Olson. I mean, Dante Olson from the University of Montana, Buck Buchanan Award winner last year. I'm sure you still follow the Grizz, but that must have been pretty cool for you some 25 years later to see a kid from your hometown become a star and a national award winner for your alma mater. Well, yeah, and, and I'll talk a little bit about Dante, but also um, Tristan Holmes, who was also um, the National Player of the Year. Um, what is, is it Tristan or Tyrone? Um, Tyrone. 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 I'm yep. sorry. His, his, his nephew, Tristan, was a great athlete in Southern Oregon also, but Tyrone um, was from Eagle Point, kind of a rural place in, in Southern Oregon. He was, he was a defensive end and National Player of the Year also just a few years prior. Both those two guys, yeah, they, I, I've never met them. They have no idea, you know, who I am, but I've certainly trolled them from afar and, and paid attention to those guys. <laughs> I really appreciated, you know, the, what, they, what they both have become. I, I knew um, Dante Olson. I knew his father. His father was a big-time coach in Southern Oregon when I was growing up. So I knew his father well and, and knew who he was. Um, his, he, you know, Dante would never know that, but his, his mother was, you know, worked at a, at a, at a uh, school that, that my daughter went to. And so I knew the family. It's a, it's a good family. Um, you know, both, both Tyrone and, and Dante are, are, are great kids and great representatives, not only of Southern Oregon, but to Grizz Nation and what they did at the University of Montana. Um, I'm probably, you know, secretly that one of, you know, one of their biggest fans. Blackfoot Communications is actively supporting the communities we serve across Montana and Idaho. We are installing hundreds of miles of fiber in our service territories, increasing the broadband experience in our rural communities. We are delivering remote workforce solutions for our business communities. We are creating new, innovative solutions for our local entrepreneurs and enterprise organizations. Learn how your company can benefit. Call today at 541-5000 or go to blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot Communications can to more. That's awesome. And, and, you know, going back to your time when you were playing in Medford, you talked about guys like, well, some other guys. We know that the Montana coaching staff had some tentacles in Oregon, which they tend to have anyways. But for you specifically, how did you get on their radar? And how did they get on yours? Because it's a two-way street, right? I'm not sure how I got on their radar, but yeah, you're right. I mean, 
Flubrad was the one, Robin Flubrad was the one who recruited me because I was recruited as an offensive player originally. And I, I think with their ties to Oregon, you know, of course, as you guys have mentioned in the show and know, Don Reed and, and Robin Flugrad and Jerome Sowers, a, a real strong Oregon connection. I think uh, Coach Flugrad had probably the Oregon, you know, recruit responsibilities. I think, I think probably how I got on their radar is they were recruiting a lot of kids out of Ashland. And at the time, when I competed against Matt Wells, Ashland was a state powerhouse. And uh, certainly Burt Wilberger's senior year, they won a state championship. So I think um, probably Montana was in Southern Oregon quite a bit, re- recruiting those uh, recruiting those kids and, and, and noticing them. Um, you know, Ashland was the premier program. I mean, they got a lot of attention throughout the state and they sent a lot of kids to college. So Maybe that's how I, I ended up on, on the radar is, is competing in, in that conference and the recognition that the kids from Ashland were getting. Did you have any knowledge of Montana before they started recruiting you? Not, not their football program, no. Um, certainly as a, as a West Coast kid that, that grew up on the IFI corridor, uh, the, the Pac-10 was um, kind of what I looked at and what my focus was. But I can tell you outside of football, on a personal note, um, I was always pretty infatuated with just Montana in general. Even though I grew up in in Medford, I actually grew up 30 minutes outside of Medford in the country. So I I grew up in a really rural setting, and my father was an avid hunter and fisher, and we did that constantly. And the allure of what Montana had to offer in, in regards to some of those things that I had grown up doing was always extremely interested, interesting to me just as a, as a personal note. But in terms of following them football-wise, no. So on that personal note, though, how excited was your dad – for you to maybe go to Montana and he's like, Hey, I can ride these coattails into some good hunting territory. Very, very much. So it was, it was an easy, certainly, (laughs) you know, that you didn't have to convince our family on, on Montana in in any, in any aspect at at all. Um, And that was uh, very appealing. It was, it was, you know, easy. I was an easy catch. And yeah, my, my, my father was very pleased about, uh, uh, the fact of me going to Montana. You know, a ton of guys have done this, uh, and and I don't know if we've asked them about it, and it still happens constantly, but it seems like there's competing narratives, and that's over switching sides of the ball or even positions on the same side of the ball. As you mentioned, played a lot of offense, you know, in high school and sort of were developed into a defensive player once you got to college. That's so – that happens all the time, but it seems like there's some people who think, hey, that's, you know – it's really hard to do, or maybe, you know, it does, it's not the best or, you know, whatever the case might be. And then there's plenty of people, lots of coaches, I think, who are like, no, we're going to fit the person to the scheme and the body to the scheme and all of that kind of stuff. What did you think about, you know, being recruited, recruited by Flugrad, an offensive guy, an offensive player yourself, and then here you find yourself a defensive end? Well, certainly now I'm, I'm very <laughs> appreciative of, of the move at, at the time. I was, I was not a uh, fan of it at all. And just to talk a little further about that, um, yeah, I was, I was recruited as a, a, as a running back and certainly not uh, following Montana really close and understanding that, you know, there's only one guy in the back 
field sometimes, <laughs> and their running game is a three-set drop and a short pass. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I, I, uh, I think for most athletes, you just figure out how, you know, how am I going to fit in when you when you get there, and and, um, you know, I, I, my first two years, my uh, I was slated at running back. There was a lot of competitive people there, very great athletes, Kelly Stensrud, Scott Spragans. Uh, the year I moved, they brought in Damon Body. I mean, just phenomenal backs. And, and I was much bigger than them too, just size-wise. And I think a, a funny story is uh, my senior year in high school for our, for our all-star game, I started at cornerback. So, so there's these, there's these nuances that you have with being a skilled position, you're right. You know, and what's going in your mind about being a skilled player and moving to that, that right. lineman position. It's like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, what a demotion this, this is. And um, that's, you know, that's my initial thought, but I, I tell you what, what, what happened and, you know, I'll get into the conversation too, is the spring of my red shirt freshman year. So my se- second year, Flugrad was leaving. Uh, it was Nick Dennehy. He came, and it was uh, Coach Dennehy is a very matter-of-fact individual, and it's like we're making this decision. Uh, you're moving to the, the defensive front, and uh, I, I don't think I heard a word he said after that. <laughs> so there, I'm sure there was some probably great explanation. And I was just like, oh, wow. Um, you know, at, at first uh, – I felt that it was kind of a demotion and what's happening. But after I sat down back and, and processed it, you know, there was some really good things that I thought of. One, I just mentioned the amount of talent that we're at running back. And I, you know, as, as a new kid in the program, as you're trying to figure out where you belong and where you fit in, you, you, you try to find, you know, like, is there, a, is there a place for me? And shortly after I moved to defensive line, I started recognizing, actually, hey, there's an avenue for me in, in this role to get on the field. Keith Jones was, he's another Oregon guy. He was a defensive end that was two years older than me. He was the only person in front of me. So, so for the first time at Montana, I really started thinking, oh, there's a, there's a course of action for me. There's an avenue for me. It, it made the move and the coaches more credible in, in terms of this decision. And from there, it just, it, it, it fell into place. The, the moving position group, sometimes I think that the underrated part is, is the change in coaches and, you know, coach Bluegrad, I've been around him a lot, particularly when he was the head coach in Montana, but I've been around some of those other offensive coaches like coach Pease now that he's back. But then I've been around Craig Paulson more than any of them because I was in school when Paulson was the defensive line coach. So tell us just about that transition because Craig Paulson is a distinctly different coach than those other guys. I mean, he is a no-nonsense perfectionist, demanding type of coach. Absolutely. I, I, uh, I really liked Coach Paulson. I have a, um, a really personal place in my heart for that guy and the things that he did for me personally. Um, I, you're exactly right. Coach Paulson is a man that is intense. He is a person that is focuses on attention to detail. He demands a lot out of the people that he that he coaches, 
And, uh, you know, that certainly that level of, of intensity, you know, it was good for, for new players. One, one thing that was really good for me, for Coach Paulson, is he just drilled the, the basics and the fundamentals. And for somebody moving to a position for the first time, not knowing, I didn't, I didn't really come with any bad habits. I didn't really know what, everything to do. And, and Coach Paulson, with that attention to detail, um, was was really helpful and 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 I'll, and I'll say this also because you know college football is you know at least when I played it's probably hasn't changed too much it's broken so much down into small sections right you know you have 60 70 guys but most of your time is with your position and your position coach you know you have some defensive team meetings and you know some full team meetings very few so your time is with your your time is with that and one thing that um, that made defensive line appealing, and one thing that brought me and uh, you know Brian Toon becoming my best friend, was uh, you know Paulson with his intensity. Uh, when you're spending that much time to people, you you do have to find outlets to make things fun, to make things funny, to lighten up the atmosphere, and we did that. And we pushed those limits. And to, to Coach Paulson's credit, he, he, he allowed us to have personalities and to function in a manner that was, you know, worked for all of us. Well, if you've got Butte guys in the room, it's either going to be angry or funny or both, right? Those are your options. It is. And it was, you know, it was such a, it was such a fun component. I, I learned on scout team of, of how to interact with Butte guys, with, with guys like Lance Allen, who was a defensive no tackle at the time. And, and certainly that was not fun to be a running back on scout team when, 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 you know, guys like Lance Allen were, yeah. were, were across from a year having to run drills. Um, and then, you know, being exposed to, you know, those guys on the defensive line with, with, with playing with Randy Riley and, 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 and Toon and, and Eric Bueller, who was a, a year younger, you know, it's, those guys bring such a, uh, a great mentality and, and it, it is, it's fun. It's fun having that mentality in the room, especially when you can see the, the uh, more comical side. You mentioned the personality transition, but how about just the athletic transition? Because, you know, on one hand, Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, is sponsored by First Security Bank and Coulter. While First Security has long been a supporter of the University of Montana and UM Athletics, people might be surprised to know how much First Security Bank, in fact, influenced the University of Montana program and the path they were on directly. Back in 1993, the Grizz were on their way to their second ever berth in the Division One AA playoffs. Previously, in 1989, the only other time Montana had made it to the Division One AA playoffs, and at that time, first round home games awarded via a bidding process. And so, to help support the Grizz football team as well as fortify the faith throughout the community of Missoula, Bill Boucher, former president of First Security Bank, stepped up to the table to help the University of Montana guarantee any potential revenue lost for the first round of the playoffs. And of course, that was recouped in a big way as the University of Montana in 1993 then started the first of 17 straight playoff berths. And in 1995, that local optimism was turned into national prominence as Montana made a run all the way to the 1995 National Championship. First Security Bank is 
proud to sponsor Grizz Greats and this 25-part podcast series commemorating the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions for Security Bank, a proud supporter of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. I mean, I imagine you were one of the fastest defensive linemen the moment you switched over from running back, right? I mean, if you're a running back, even if you're just average speed, you're going to be one of the fastest guys in the room. So was that something you could lean on a little bit when you were kind of learning the way to play the position? Yeah, that certainly that certainly helped a lot. You know, speeds, you know, speed wins out a lot of time. If you don't have anything else, you know, speed certainly helps. And that was a huge asset of mine. Um, I just had to figure out how to use it <laughs> and when and, and when to, to use it. My first spring um, of, of playing D-line, of course, I, I, I was truly learning from, from the beginning. And you have to, you know, you have to learn the, physic- the physical part of it. You have to learn um, the, the run stoppage part of it. My introduction literally to defensive line was uh, Frank Garrett. I think he was an all-conference, maybe an all-American uh, offensive guard. Uh, and he was a phenomenal lineman for the for for the Grizz, and I, I remember you know we were going through drills and defensive and there's not a lot of different assignments you know certainly your tackle can go down they can come at you or they can drop back to, to pass and one thing if if they go down and go away from you somebody's going to replace them and you better look inside to see who's replacing them. I haven't yep. figured this out yet. So certainly I'm lining up. My tackle goes down. I don't know where to look. And and I think Frank Garrett probably hit me. He hit me so hard. You know, I, I woke up, you know, a few minutes later and, you know, probably a hundred yards away. And I'm like, what the heck happened? And, and, you know, Paulson comes up and he goes, Oh yeah, by the way, um, when that tackle goes down, you need to look inside. And it's like, oh. <laughs> I would have known that 30 seconds earlier. <laughs> so, so that really introduced me to, um, you know, that physical part of the, the game is, is, a, is, you know, an introductor like that of like, okay, this, <laughs> here's, welcome to college football. Welcome to an, an all-conference guard and, and welcome to the D-line, Corey. So when you started though uh uh playing like you learned the position and now you know you're in that line and now you're the guy you get out there and 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 it's your job what was it like to be playing college football playing division one football for the grizzlies and and you know in this new role it was awesome like i said i i I saw a path for me into to be able to get to a place where you could start um you know, and being, you just want to be, you, you want to be part of something uh, bigger. And, and at the beginning, it was just being on the team and being accepted and being one of the guys. And, um, and then as you start growing up with these guys and competing, you want to be a person that contributes, that is, um, you know, part of the group. And to be able to work um, into that position, to just be a guy that ends up on the field to, to help this team, meant more to me than, than, than anything. Cause you, you know, you're just, you're, you're, you're in a position where you can help, you can contribute and you can be part of the team. And to me, that was, that meant more, more to me than anything else. You mentioned going against some of those Montana offensive linemen too. I mean, I'm sure you had some battles probably with Scott Gregg too, maybe Eric Simonson, you know, some of the other interior guys as well. So did that help accelerate your development too? Just going against guys that were proven, you know, all conference, all American caliber players. 
Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. The, the, the person, you know, that I had to go against all the time was Eric Simonson. And I tell you what, as a, as a, as a, as a person that was learning the position, well, what better way to be indoctrinated in, or to learn than to go against a perennial All-American? I mean, and, and I think that was, that was great for my development to, um, you know, to go, constantly go against a person that you really couldn't beat. So you're always figuring out a way to improve, to uh, try different things. Um, I don't remember a time where I ever beat Eric Simonson uh, on a one-on-one on -one rush, but I can certainly tell you um, it, it paid off in game day when I could beat tackles, you know, that, that, that um, cause I had, I had spent, you know, all week practicing or, you know, my, my whole career practicing against, you know, an, an All-American. And then my senior year, Scott Curry came in, who was a phenomenal football player, and he was completely different. He was – he was um, he wasn't as big as Simonson, but he was faster and he had different foot feet work. So, you know, getting to, you know, see that different look was, was very helpful for me. You know, I already – you know, discussed, you know, my, my first interaction with Frank Garrett and learning from, from, from that interaction. And that was a big deal. And then we just had, we had phenomenal linemen at the, at the university of Montana when, when I was there. And I think that made our, our whole defensive line better to go against those guys. 93 and 94, the Grizzlies uh, made some, some great runs in the playoffs uh, had some balls bounce against them late in the season uh, against you guys. It's also during the course of your development as a player individually. That 95 season rolls around. What was your thought about about that team, your role on it, and, and especially, I mean, your guys' junior class, so, that 90, so the 96 class, is one of the all-time groups in the history of the school. And so, but you maybe you don't, you, you see that you're special, but maybe know, know it like that in the moment. So what was it like there going into 95 for you? Well, yeah, that's, you bring up 93 and 94 because I think a couple things happened with, with this, with those kids, um, you know, my class and the 95 team is one. We all watched in 93 what happened when, when Delaware came to town. And, um, you know, as, as most of us that contributed in 95, we were freshmen, you know, standing on the sideline watching this unfold. And um, what a, you know, that was just a heartbreaking experience uh, to watch. I think we learned by watching that. I think we also, I think our coaches learned by watching that. And then in 94, that was a great team. Those, those they were phenomenal. And to watch that team get to Youngstown and, and be competitive, um, you know, and, and competing against at that level. Um, going into 95, I think, you know, at least from the, from the offensive standpoint, we knew those guys were great. I mean, there was, there was no question. A lot of returners, phenomenal um, athletes at, at every position. And, and for, the, for the defense, you know, you had a bunch of – smart guys, analytical guys, um, that, uh, that were, it was, it was our turn. And I think again, what had made us better in, in, in our sophomore year in the spring of our sophomore year and going in is, is we're, we're competing and this new defense is competing against a great offense day in, day out. So, um, 
we knew we 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 were we were good. I mean, I don't think anybody certainly if you were going through the you know the lineup for '95 and you're looking down the list, um, you're looking at you know left end you know left end is is Johan. It's like okay, he's you know big strong you know local Montana kid. Ryan Thompson, oh yeah, he's a he's a local you know 290 pound you know tune as a butte guy. You get you, you get to my name and you're like who's who's this guy you know from he was a running back and then and then you have all these other credible guys you've got Blaine McElmurray you've got Sean Gokachia whose brother played there's you know David Sermon who came from a huge football family Mike Boucher a local kid Crebo so I think if you were to see kind of my name on there you'd be like what's what's going on here but so who knew that like a, a running back would work out who knew that Jason Crebo would come out as a sophomore who replaced a guy that was phenomenal. It was a three-time All-Big Sky person, and it's like, how are we going to fill Dan Downs' position? And here comes Krebo, who's, who's an All-American out of the gate. Mike Boucher is an All-American out of the gate. So I think, you know, and, and, and then you have, you know, your, your, your standard players that are always great, you know, Blaine and, and all of that. So I don't know if we knew how good we would be or you, and I think you expect that those guys would transition like that and, and that was so awesome to see I think going into 95 we just we knew the capability was there but it just had to come out the element of having to wait your turn do you think that that was influential on you guys because it seems like now college football has just evolved into you know me my time you know I, I'm, a, I'm a sophomore I better be starting you know guys are transferring all over the place but it seemed like it was a collective part of the culture where you knew you were going to have to put in your time and back up some veteran guys before you actually got your opportunity. But do you think that for you guys that did have to wait until you were juniors, that influenced you? It, I, you know, for me personally, yeah. You know, having to, to wait and learn and, and, and watch. Um, you, you know, certainly it was, it was common to redshirt kids. I, I don't know how football, you know, if that's real common now today, but, you know, to sit back and watch and learn for, for my development, it was helpful. Um, there, there may have been guys on our, on our, you know, defense that maybe could have played sooner. I, I, I don't know, but for, for, for me, you know, sitting back and having three years, whether it's, you know, actually I only had, by the time I started as a, as a junior, I'd only been at the defensive end position out of all my football experience for a year, you know? So, um, having that time to mature and develop certainly for me was extremely helpful. Blackfoot Communications is actively supporting the communities we serve across Montana and Idaho. We are installing hundreds of miles of fiber in our service territories, increasing the broadband experience in our rural communities. We are delivering remote workforce solutions for our business communities. We are creating new, innovative solutions for our local entrepreneurs and enterprise organizations. Learn how your company can benefit. Call today at 541-5000 or go to blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot Communications. Connect to more. Corey, uh, let's, let's not get into the postseason of the 95 year yet, but in the regular season, there is a number of benchmarks in that season. Uh, even a loss at Washington State was a, a, actually a confidence boost, uh, booster, excuse me, for a lot of guys, as they said, uh, because you saw how good you could be. The, the Boise State game, maybe the Montana State game to some extent at the end. But for you personally, within the context of the team, is there a game or a moment, whether or maybe you know, maybe it's a maybe it was a Wednesday meeting, whatever, that stands out to you as 
just a, a distinct memory over the course of that run? Yeah, I have two specific memories. One is uh, we would meet as a team on Sundays and Coach Reed would address the team. And I think this was a 93 season. It was early on in my career. And, and you know, as, as you know, you know, Coach Reed's personality was, you know, a, a father figure. Uh, you know, he didn't address the, the, the team uh, real serious a, a, a ton. You know, we had a lot of chats. But one thing he said that always stood with me from the beginning, he said, there's three things to having a, a consistent winning season that you have to do. Number one is you have to win at home. Number two, you have to beat your crosstown rival. And number three, you have to win that game on the schedule that you're not supposed to. Just one. Just one. And th that, those things really stuck with me in terms of, oh, well, here's a path of how – here's a guy that's had, you know, by that time, you know, eight or nine winning seasons. Here's a guy that understands this is how a path. And that, that always rang, rang true with me as I progressed over the, the next couple of years. So that was important. The Washington State game certainly stood out to me. And it was a play in Washington State that, that happened with, with me. is because, one, you know, I, this is my first time starting. You know, it's, it's against a Pac-10 team. This is a big deal. And um, I remember, you know, maybe shortly through the first quarter, um, there's um, – it, it was probably a screenplay or something. The offensive tackle, he was downfield, and, and, and I turned to pursue, and I get my head around just in time to see him going after, you know, trying to take my knees out for a block. And I get my legs up in, in time. And my first thought was, why is a 6'7", 300-pound Pac-10 offensive lineman not trying to earhill me like Frank Garrett did, like a man, and he's trying to take my, my knees out? And, and so I got in this guy's ear about, you know, why are you – and I said that to him. He's like, I'm like, man, you're a Pac-10 player. You're 300 pounds. You outweigh me by 80 pounds. You want to take my knees out? I'm like, what's up with that? So I, it, it got me going just to start kind of getting in their ear about what was, what was happening. And, you know, that never happened again. But the physicality piece, which I think I had to prove to myself – that came that game and in that game and I, I under you know I understood kind of where I was at personally and and that I think got me off to a a really good start in playing and then after that you know kind of going back to coach Reed's you know philosophy of of winning at home and, and winning some of those games you shouldn't you know Boise comes to mind that was a game that we talked about quite a bit that um we were ready for him certainly after what happened in 94 um you know, you want to avenge certain things, and that was a big one, and 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 we did that, um, and and those were the those are the ones that that stood out to me. The landscape of the Big Sky at the time. What do you remember just thinking about those teams when you were preparing to play them? Teams like Boise State, Idaho, because it seemed like those were uh, at least on par, or maybe well, maybe it's hard to be on par with the with the cross state rival, right? But uh, I know that those were fierce rivalries in themselves. Yeah, when we when, certainly when I got to Montana, Idaho and and Boise were were the top of the big sky, and that was the that was the discussion is is beating beating those two teams, you know, for the for the big sky, uh, you know, for the big sky championship. So so we knew that those were always big games on on the schedule, you know, and and, and the other thing too, knowing that Idaho and Boise were leaving the conference, you just kind of rolled your eyes at the time in terms of, oh, these guys are too good for us now. So you really, I think it put an extra, 
you know, put an extra piece of momentum, at least in, in my mind about, you know, let's put these guys in their place before we send them off to, to a different conference. So um, they were certainly the uh, premier teams in the league. And I think, you know, competing with them and beating them, you know, it elevated our uh, status and it elevated our confidence. When you get into the postseason, you have you have the win, obvious statement win against Boise, loss against Idaho, but you don't lose after that. You roll through everybody. Uh, you get, you know, you beat the rival, uh, Montana State. You get that win. And now you're in the postseason. You earn the home berth. And it's just, I mean, it's just a hot knife through butter for three games in Washington Grizzly Stadium, letting a lot of warm weather teams feel a little bit of that Montana climate and all that. But uh, that also, not just that three-game run, but maybe best exemplified that three-game run of your guys' defense. Everybody talked about the offense and, you know, the throwing it and the scoring a bunch of points, and that's all true. But, I mean, was it seven points or 14 points, whatever it was, in, in the course of three playoff games? I mean, that's unbelievable. And then to parlay that into a, a national championship game where it really did fall on your guys' shoulders in a lot of ways on the defensive side, how big was that run? And what, do you, what was the experience of being dominant like that in a playoff? Well, a couple of things. I, I, it, was, it was awesome to, to be at home, one. And, and why it was awesome to be at home. And I think, I think we had to wait till Sunday evening every week to see if we had a, if we were going to play at home the next week. I think that was kind of the rhythm of things. And the, the awesome thing about playing at home was the field was frozen. And if you're in, and because of that, we would wear turf shoes on the frozen field. And, and of course the teams from the South didn't realize this. And I think a couple of teams overnight at turf shoes in when they got and realized, Oh, our cleats don't sink in. So that was one huge advantage. The other thing is, you know, the big grizzly, that they paint in the middle of the field. Sure. That is, you know, at the time, you know, of course, this is, this is early nineties when that's just a, you know, probably roller paint, whatever it is. Well, that freezes. So it's like playing on, on concrete. So, so the, the middle of the field is, is concrete. And then you have the frozen grass. So, so, so it's a, it's a horrible environment. If, if you're coming from <laughs> Texas or Georgia to come play on asphalt you know, and, and, and try to, you know, roller skate or, or ice skate through that. So I think that gave us a huge advantage. But, but it, it, with, with the defense, I, you know, maybe my defensive guys will get frustrated with this. I have to credit our offense. And, and here's why. Because when you're up by 14 points, um, 15, you know, 14 to 21 points in the first quarter or two, and you can spend three quarters pass rushing and getting after it, that makes it – a lot of fun. And I think that that was what our defense was really good at. So you're, you're up 14, 21, you know, in the first quarter, you know, if, if your game plan is to try to run the ball or control thing, well, first of all, Tune and Thompson are not going to have, you know, the, you know, this three or two or three yard gains. And, you know, they're, you're not going to get nickel and dime down the field. So those guys are just going to put a stop to that immediately. And we did that a couple times in the first quarter, then boom, 21, nothing. And then for the, for the rest of the game, we get to turn our hats backwards and get after them. And, and that was what was so fun for me to play, um, to, to be able to do that for two or three quarters 
And I, I would, I've never seen the stats, but I'd be interested to see, you know, how many third and longs they had, you know, after the second quarter, because we're just forcing them. It changes, it changes the whole dynamic of the game plan when you're coming and, and you know, if you're thinking that you're going to control the ball or if you're going to run or try to get to third and short and, and pass or whatever the game plan is, when you have to come from behind in the second quarter and you're on a, you know, piece of asphalt in the middle of Montana, that's not easy to do. And, and I think that's why we had some fun with those teams coming to town. A lot of the Montana guys I know were well aware of how big of the conditions could be an advantage. At what point did you realize that, hey, we need to get as many games as we possibly can here in late November, early December in Missoula, because this is going to be among the biggest advantages we can have. I think we realized that more in 96 than in 95. 95 was, was, it was just a blast because each week, like I said, Sunday, we would have, you know, we would find out another home game. And you knew from the previous week that you just played on, you know, a, a piece of frozen asphalt with some surrounding frozen grass. Um, and yet you, you, you dominated that. And so you knew in your mind that, um, Let's bring another group in here that has to overnight some turf shoes in that has no idea, you know, what the conditions are until you get here. Because there's a difference playing when it's cold and there's a difference playing when it's, it's cold and it's freezing and, and you, you can't, you know, have good footing. So I think each week, um, knowing that we were moving on to, you know, what we had just come out of, it gave us a lot of confidence, like, this is going to be fun. You finally, it, it was, it was quote-unquote easy in the postseason, but still it's a first time moved through to the national championship game. When you are preparing and on the plane and going, do you remember pressure? I don't remember pressure. Um, I think winning's really addictive. Um, and by the time we were heading to West Virginia, we, we were used to winning. Um, I, I do, rem, you know, even even though you were playing on frozen fields and it's slick and all that, it does change what you do, at least for a defensive lineman. I, you know, you have to shorten your stance up. You can't get off the ball as well. And for someone that, that played like I did, that's a little bit of a disadvantage, you know. So going to West Virginia for me and, and knowing that I was going to be on turf, I was glad that I was going to have good footing. Um we had spent three weeks looking at teams on film that were really good. And um, they came to Missoula and got dismantled. So looking at Marshall on film, of course, they looked really good. But again, I think the level of confidence, because winning's addictive, for me going in, um, and the other piece is, I don't know if people expected us to be there. So, um, you know, here we go through this, you know, phase of we're, we're winning each week and we're seeing if we get to play at home again. And, and you, you, you know, you end up three weeks into this, like, Hey, we're, we're heading to West Virginia. So I didn't feel pressure per se of, of anything other than what a great opportunity to be part of. Do you remember what your initial thoughts were of Marshall specifically when you guys knew that was the draw and you started to prepare for them? Uh, the only thing I really remember at Marshall, I knew they had a really good running back, Parker. Um, we knew, you know, certainly we didn't know Pennington was going to, you know, turn out to be an NFL perennial player, but we knew he was good, but it's still a true freshman. Um, 
outside of that on, on film, you know, they had a good offensive line, but certainly, like I said earlier, I was going against an all American every week anyway. So that didn't really, I didn't really care about that. Um, but so we knew they were going to be good and we knew they were going to be at home. And outside of that, um, I, I didn't think too much more than, than that. Let's, you know, let's lace them up and let's, let's, you know, let's see how good you really are. But did that change when the game started? I don't think so. You know, certainly, you know, again, we were used to getting up on teams and spending three quarters, you know, pass rushing and getting after it. Um, and more of a balanced game where you, you know, they, they were able to do some of the things that they may have not done on a frozen piece of asphalt in Missoula. You know, they were able to pick up some first downs, run some things, um, you know, so that's a different level of physicality where you're, you're playing against the run more and your, um, you know, your, your pass rushes are, are not as, as often. So you don't have an opportunity to get after the, the quarterback as much. So um, certainly, yeah, we knew we were in a fight, you know, you know, early on in the game, you know, and, and part of that because we weren't up on them. But certainly they weren't doing much to us. And, and um, I think we felt like we were in a good place. We you know, this was going to be a good football in this game. This is what we wanted. We wanted to lace it up and, you know, bring it on. Let's see where we're at. Did, did it take an adjustment within the game, though, just mentally because you guys had been just trouncing teams so much? I mean, did you have to re-engage and say, hey, this is actually going to be a slugfest? Um, I don't I don't remember a, a mental adjustment in, in that one as, as, as much maybe in, in 96, but um, just that um, – yeah, I think we knew that this was something we were going to be in a a dogfight for the 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 entire game, and you know we had overcome some of those things throughout the year. You know, I think you know, and, and again, this this smart team that had seen over time, we you know we we were, we were there. We watched Delaware. We watched Youngstown. You know, we we had been part of those previous, you know, things that had happened. We had been, you know, against Pac, you know, 10 schools and Boise and had overcome tough games. So even though the playoffs were easier, I think we had we had been through enough and learned as a as kind of an intellectual analytical team that yeah, we're 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 in a fight and we can withstand this. Golter, in 1993, the Grizz football team was looking to host its first playoff game of the decade and just its second season of playoffs in school history. As we know, you got to have some financial backing to guarantee a home game. And former First Security Bank president Bill Boucher stepped up, spearheading a group of local business owners to guarantee that bid for UM Athletics. And that commitment from First Security Bank to UM has never wavered. Bill Boucher, Gordy Fix. Several other business owners around the city of Missoula certainly had a huge influence in stepping up. Certainly some of the first true believers in what Grizz football could become and what they could mean to the Missoula community. Two years later, in 1995, the University of Montana had turned that local optimism into national prominence. The Grizz won the Division I AA National Championship, the first national title in the history of the university. And 25 years later, First Security Bank is still proud to sponsor the Grizzlies. First Security Bank, a presenting sponsor for Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, a 25-part podcast series remembering that epic 1995 season. First Security Bank, proud sponsor of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. 
the, the hit, the safety, the drive, the kick, right? Those are maybe the four that, that, uh, that summarize the game. But for you, it could be one of those or more. Was there, was there a memory? Is there a memory where you latch onto that and go, that was, that was my national championship right there? Well, certainly I remember all of those. I remember the, I remember Blaine lighting the guy up and that was cool. And, and um, I think the guy jumped up and, and did something to get a to penalty after he, I, I think he was a little dizzy. So he probably didn't realize what he was doing, but um, I certainly remember that. Um, and, and the safety was, you know, at the time he didn't think that that was going to be the winning points of the game, but I, I, I vividly re- remember that. And, and the fact that it was, you know, two of my close friends and, and, uh, you know, same, same age and defensive line guys. Um, that was, that was, uh, something that I remember. I was, I was part of the, I was on, I was on the field goal team. You know, I was on the, the left side, who was on the right side, you know, um, I vividly re- remember that, um, you know, and just wanting to certainly do my job <laughs> and not and and not be the reason why you know something went away. So I do remember the kick and being part of that um, that field goal team and, and watching that go through the uprights. And your reaction when it actually did split the uprights? You probably had to buckle back down and go play thirty nine more seconds of defense, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think my reaction was was cool. Uh, hands up, you know, field goal, and um, you know, let's finish let's let's finish this out. You know, I, uh, one thing about um, our our ninety five team, I think most people would say is it, it wasn't a it wasn't a group with a a ton of egos. It was a group that recognized everybody needed to do their job, and whatever that job was do it well and um guys did that and and that was it and, and larson that you know i think larson and, and, and everybody part of that field goal team they did their job and you know let's let's line it up for the rest of this game finish out the job and you know get a ring and to get a ring you did 39 seconds tick off the clock their field goal Never a chance uh, on on the the last sort of desperation play. Walk us through Corey Falls next minute, hour, day. Well, boy, what a what a whirlwind! Um, you know, I I remember um, one. I remember giving credit to some of the, the Marshall guys because uh, it was a hard fought battle, and, and certainly out of respect to that, I, I remember you know some some condolences. And then after that, it was, you know, it was, it was celebrating with the team. I, I don't think we knew what to expect. Um, and I, I think this is when you really see the kind of the greater Montana infrastructure that went into uh, supporting this. And that was really cool to see as a player, you don't see all the things, you know, you don't see all the stuff behind the scenes that is, that is always supporting you or, um, you know, putting things into motion and, and working. So after, you know, huge celebration with the, with you know, your fellow te- fellow teammates and pictures on the field and you're the national champs and, and coach Reed and, and your coaches and all these the people that you've spent so much time, blood, sweat, tears with of accomplishment. It's just such a great feeling. And then, you know, getting on the plane back and coming back to Missoula and, and seeing the greater infrastructure that was out there that was also part of this that you really didn't realize, 
was really cool for me to to see. It's like, wow, this is bigger than than what you realize. Was that different than you expected, or I guess how did how did the reaction compare to maybe what you guys had and had anticipated, or had you anticipated any reaction at all? Didn't re- didn't I didn't anticipate it at all. I didn't know what to think. I mean, it was it was. You know, and in hindsight, it was what to be expected. I mean, what a you know, you know, you you're such a small piece. You know, you, you think you're you think you're bigger than uh, you know as as a member of a football team. You know, you forget that you're part of a greater university, a greater community, a greater city, a greater infrastructure that all goes in, into this. And you know, winning, winning a championship kind of opens up all those doors that, yeah, there was a lot of people that were part of this from our community and from our university and from uh, uh, the, the, the city that, that are, are part of this. And, and those were things that at the time and as a player, I didn't expect, I never saw. And, and to see uh, the collection, uh, the collective celebration around that, I think was was amazing and it was fun to be a part of and just be a you know a spoke in that wheel. It's easy to love when you win and you know kind of feel a part of it and all that kind of thing. Uh, so many guys on that team are from Montana. Many of the guys from Missoula area. That's not your story. What what was the relationship like in your mind for you, your tie to the university, to the city, to the state from that point coming in for the first time, so to speak, when you went to college? Well, I, I, I thought it was awesome. I, I, I love Montana. I still go back as, as often as I can and spend as much time there, you know, hunting, fly fishing, you know, going to football games when I can so it's it's certainly a, a piece of me, and to have the success we did, and to be able to have this conversation with you guys twenty five later, twenty five years later, to be able to go into the the Grizz, um, the the rebuilt locker room, and all that, and have a wall designated to ninety five Grizz, um, it, you know, at, at at the time it was just one. I think it's important. Um, you know, especially for a place like University of Montana, if you can win with a core group of Montana kids, I think that is really important for the community, the state, the uni- the university, and, and supplement with with some really good guys like Corey Falls. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> supplement with some guys you know with that are that are out of the area. Um, I think it's important to the university and and the relationships that I built with with the guys from Montana who became my closest friends and had a more of a history there. For me, I was just awful proud to be part of that and to be next to those guys and to be accepted and to be um, a piece to see that come to fruition. Take us through them the next year because so many of you guys that were on that team were juniors. You come back as seniors. And the dynamic completely shifts. Now you are the top dog, the defending national champs, the team that everybody's gunning for. But you guys just pretty much bulldozed the entire schedule until the rematch of Marshall. So what was it like, uh, the, the dynamic shift, no longer being chasing, but now being the ones that are being chased? 
Well, I think great teams and, and, and teams with high expectations, you have to find something that has a, you know, that puts a little chip on your shoulder. What, what is going to make you go out and compete, repeat, to continue to win? And something I haven't heard too many guys talk about this, but I think it put a little bit of a chip on a couple guys' shoulders and a couple things that happened in the offseason. Number one is they made the decision to change our colors. And that was a huge deal to, to some of the guys. And um, specifically, my, my good friend, Brian Toon. I mean, there was just some guys that this was, this was a cardinal sin. And, you know, this is, this is, these are business decisions that kids, you know, nobody's asking, the, you know, the, the kids on the 95 National Championship, they're coming back what they think. You know, these are, these are greater business decisions that you don't have any control of. And so – that puts a sour taste in your mouth when you are being told that, yeah, next season you get to run out, you know, in this, these maroon and silver colors when we had won in copper and gold and won at the highest level. That was one thing that, that kind of just rubbed some guys the wrong way. The other thing was a big deal is there was a coaching change. And, and we all loved Coach Dennehy, but in the back of some of our guys' minds, it's like, well, what's going to happen? Is, is Coach Sowers going to be the head coach? What's going to happen? Who's, you know, are we going to lose our defensive coordinator? Is this going to change some things? And luckily, things seemed, stayed pretty similar with, with the move of, of Coach Dennehy moving into that role. So there were some, some of those nuances that were out there as uh, the, the, the guys were heading into spring and then heading into the, to the fall of 96 that just kind of brought an aspect of, of you know, we're, we're going to do this, but now we're going to, now we have a reason to do it begrudgingly to some extent. Corey, I want to uh, get to the present day. Uh, and you finish up at the University of Montana, you go into uh, life as a public servant in the form of law enforcement. You do that for about two decades or better, and then uh, graduate or move up into the sort of administrative levels. But particularly as we record this here, the, uh, the year 2020 and what a year it's been, and you have been on the front lines in very many ways in fighting this pandemic at a, at a city uh, level in the greater Portland area, which is as frontline as it can possibly be. Talk to us about what you, your life has been going up to this point, and particularly this last six, eight months for you. Yeah, certainly. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in the, th- the thick of things out here. Uh, certainly after college, I, I, I got into law enforcement and worked you know, for 20 years in, 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 in that role and uh, left in 2019 and moved into city management about, you know, six months before this, this pandemic hit. And, um, you know, once, once that kicked off, my primary role was to be the incident commander of the, our COVID-19 response for our, our city. And that's been a whirlwind, and, and certainly out in the Portland metro area where we uh, just have a uh, – a huge amount of test cases that are positive. And in addition to that, you know, as if, if, you, if you loosely follow the news, you see that, that Portland is a huge place where there's a huge social justice movement going on as well. So, you know, amongst a, a greater social justice movement, a, a pandemic, um, being able to uh, be in a position to manage and, and, 
kind of work through some of those issues has been, it's, it's made 2020 uh, quite interesting and busy. Right. Well, I, uh, I think interesting and busy are two of probably a thousand adjectives that could be used, but I certainly uh, know I speak for Coulter myself, and I'm sure everybody listening when we say thank you so much for the work that you've done, not just over your career, but uh, especially this last year, so important, and, uh, and we're grateful to you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate, you know, especially under the conditions of this year that, that um, you guys are doing this. Um, it's nice to, to sit back and talk and, and remember some of those good times with uh, and the relationships you built. So thank you guys for the work and uh, uh, keep it up. Corey, I want to ask you one more thing before we get you out of here then. How do you think that the football element and your experience at the University of Montana as a whole influenced in what your life has become? Oh, it, it, it's influenced it a ton. You know, I think you're always striving for, you know, that, that level of teamwork and camaraderie, um, you know, getting to the highest levels, um, seeing, seeing what it looks like when you have a group of individuals that will work together and, and come together from completely different backgrounds and, and make sacrifice and um, accomplish a goal. And um, that has been a huge influence uh, for me throughout my career. Probably the closest thing I've seen to that or been a part of is some of the SWAT teams I've been on, you know, in law enforcement of that same camaraderie, working together, you know, doing some of those things. But it, it's, it's influenced me my, my entire career to always strive to to find that place, to want to find those relationships, that teamwork, that camaraderie. And uh, I think it, it still continues to this day. Is it weird to think that being on the scout team was safer or was on the SWAT team was safer than the scout team when you were uh, going against an All-American? I mean, you're like, hey, this is nothing. We're good here. Well, until you said that, yeah, that, that, that is weird to think. And that's probably very, very true that there was a level of, of you know, safer environment on the SWAT team than, than going against Chad Lemke and, and Todd Erickson and, and, uh, and Lance Allen, you know, those three Butte guys, you know, uh, as a scout team running back. So, yes, very much so. Corey Falls. Corey, thank you so much. Appreciate it very much. Thank you, guys. Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions podcast series commemorates Montana's epic run to its first national crown. Now, you have a chance to own a piece of history by purchasing a custom piece of art specifically commissioned to accompanying this epic archiving of history. The one-of-a-kind painting features Hall of Fame quarterback Dave Dickinson, legendary Grizz head coach Don Reed, and Andy Larson, the Helena native who drilled the game-winning kick to lift Montana to a 22-20 victory over Marshall on December 16, 19. Secure this limited edition work of art while supplies last to ensure no Grizz fan ever forgets that historic moment. To purchase number 195 championship, 
a one-of-a-kind painting by former Grizz wide receiver Ryan Bagley. Visit rbagley3.com or check out grizzgreats.com and click on the link, or you can visit the ESPN Missoula Facebook page for more information. From full-size canvases that are professionally framed to prints, hooded sweatshirts, and T-shirts, don't miss your chance to get this one-of-a-kind painting by a Montana artist for the great people of Montana. Visit rbagley3.com or grizzgreats.com to make your purchase today. Thank you for listening to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. Grizz Greats is available on all of your podcasting platforms, whether you use Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Transistor. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share. To find all the Grizz Greats, you can just search Grizz Greats on your platforms, or you can visit grizzgreats.com or 1029ESPN.com and click on the podcast tab. Chris Greats is proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications and First Security Bank of Missoula.